Grace, mercy, and peace are yours. From God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Our sermon today is another in the series we've called A Time for Everything. That's what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There is a time for everything and a season for every purpose under the heavens. It seems that the book of Ecclesiastes was Solomon's kind of looking back at his whole life and, and thinking about the good and the bad and, and putting things in the proper perspective for us. Today we'll use the Apostle Paul's words from Galatians chapter 6 to focus on a time for perspective. Perspective is kind of one of those things that can change, can't it? Maybe you've seen some of these 3D sidewalk chart chalk artists. One time when I was in New York City, this wasn't exactly what was on the sidewalk, but something similar to this. And it was amazing to watch everybody walk around what really was only a chalk drawing on the ground. And you can see people doing it there too. What they see with their eyes is what appears to be a hole in the sidewalk when all it really is is chalk drawn on the ground. Or maybe you've seen something like this. It looks like this snail from the perspective this picture is taking is about to say hello uh, to the woman sitting at the end of the bench. Here's what it actually looks like from a different perspective. That's how the artist achieves the 3D effect that you saw from the other angle doesn't look quite so scary, does it? It's interesting, isn't it, how we trust our eyes and our senses, but sometimes those things seem to be able to play tricks on us. And our perspective can, can shift and change depending on the way we look at things. Isn't it great to have something sure and certain in the word of our God and in our Savior Jesus who is the same yesterday and today and forever? And that's the perspective the Apostle Paul wants us to focus on today as we use these words to, to use the theme, a time for perspective. And as we do so, let's ask ourselves these questions. Do we live more for the moment or do we live more for eternity? Listen again to the first verses we read from this text, Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Paul writes this, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. If you were to page through the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians, you would see that there are six chapters to that book that Paul wrote, that letter that he wrote. And so we are in the concluding thoughts of Paul's letter to the congregation, uh, congregations in and around Galatia. What Paul has established in the previous chapters of that letter is the certainty of our salvation. That it's completely found in Jesus, that there's nothing left for us to do because salvation is won by our Savior. However, as he gets to the last couple of chapters of his letter, the Apostle Paul wants to give encouragement to God's people to live according to his will. And so he has some instructions. And I don't know how you felt as I read that uh, first in the, the readings before and just now, but, but that very first phrase kind of jumps out at you, doesn't it? Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. 
What Paul is doing is shining a spotlight on one of the characteristics of God that is quite unique. The characteristic of God is his omniscience, that he knows everything. And I don't know about you, but maybe I should spend a little bit more time thinking about God's omniscience because it's a bit frightening, isn't it? It's a bit scary to, to, to know that every thought that ever comes into my head, every word that ever forms on my lips, everything that I ever do, God is fully aware of. The reason that's scary is because I can't lie or make up excuses. God doesn't fall for those things. There's nothing that I can pull over on God. He's fully aware of everything I say, everything I think, and everything that I do. And what's even scarier is I know that God has every right to hold me to account for those sins. But here's the amazing thing about God's omniscience, his all-knowing nature. It also is an incredible comfort for you and for me. See, the same God that knows every thought that goes into our heads knows every situation in which we live. He knows everything about us. He knows exactly what we need. Jesus said it this way, Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your heavenly Father knowing. Aren't you much more valuable than they, Jesus asks? It's comforting to know that, that the God who, who knows everything that we've done also knew that we needed someone to come into this world to save us and that's why he sent his son Jesus. It's because of what Jesus has done that Paul gives us the next instructions. And he uses a picture that anybody who's ever worked or lived on a farm or, or planted a garden or some sort of crops, I suppose you could say, even in your own kitchen, kind of understands. You reap what you sow. Whatever you put into the ground is what is going to come out of it. I think you know that the Apostle Paul wasn't so concerned about how well your garden did this year as he was about a much more important idea of sowing and reaping and that has a spiritual nature. In our NIV translation, maybe you understood uh, the two natures that Paul was describing. He uses the words spirit and flesh. Maybe you've heard those words in different contexts or in different descriptions, but sometimes it's described as our old self and our new self. I've heard old Adam and new man. What it's describing is what's going on inside of every single one of us each day. It's a battle. It's a tug of war. It's a tug of war between the side of us that says, I can live for myself. It doesn't matter. I can do whatever I want. That would be the flesh, the sinful nature. And then we have the other side of us that's created through faith in Jesus that says, what does God want me to do today? How can I serve God and others today? And there is this constant friction and battle that's going on in each one of us every single day. The reason perspective is so important, Paul says, is because of the results of those two sowings and what is going to be reaped later on. Hold on to that thought for just a moment. Anybody remember the dress? This broke the internet in 2015. So for those of you that were too young to remember that, I apologize. But many of you remember the dress from 2015. It was this argument on social media. Was the dress blue and black or is it white and gold? Do you remember this? Remember this happening? 
okay? I don't know how long it went on before the owner of the dress finally came out and told us what color it was, do you remember? She said it was black and blue, which is crazy to me because I look at that and I see white and gold. See, that's perspective, isn't it? Don't we all see things, maybe even color, just a little bit differently? Or maybe the lighting has, to, has something to do with the way we see it? Here's the thing. Could I just say, who cares? Does it really matter if the dress was black or blue or gold or white? But the perspective that Paul is talking about matters a lot. He said, those who sow according to the sinful nature, the flesh, reap destruction. But those who sow according to the Spirit, eternal life. This is an eternal difference that we're talking about here as Paul encourages us to have the proper perspective. That's why he says what he does in verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I suppose if we took a survey of what kind of seeds each one of us is sowing, we would all have to admit, wouldn't we, that, that we kind of tend to sow both seeds? We do the good things that God wants us to do, but we know that we struggle with that sinful nature too. Do you hear how Paul allows for that frustration? That that's a struggle that every Christian has? He actually says to us, do not become weary in doing good. You see, Paul understands that it's not easy to follow God's will for our lives. It's not just the sinful nature that we fight. It's the evil in the world around us, too. All right, students, I, I apologize for this in advance, but, but I got to tell you one of the things that's not fun about getting older. And it doesn't have anything to do with daylight savings time, although my internal clock had me up at 4 o'clock this morning. That's a bad thing about getting old, too. But here's what happens and I hope people can relate to this. To those of us that get a little bit older, cynicism seems to come into our lives. Where we look at the world and say, what an evil place. It was so much better when I was younger. Maybe you've heard someone from a generation above you say something like that. right? Does God really know what's going on? Is this really what is supposed to be happening in our world? Why does evil seem to win all the time? And that cynicism can cloud us, cloud our sight and our judgment and, and make us forget that God is in control. There's only one God in this world. The job isn't open and God isn't accepting any applications. He's God and we're not. And he knows exactly how to act in every situation. That's why Paul says to you and me, don't give up. There's something waiting. He uses that picture of farming again as he tells us that there's a harvest that's waiting, not just of a bumper crop, but an eternal life that we have. There's a harvest that's waiting if we don't give up. And what he's talking about as he uses that word proper time is when Jesus is going to come back to this earth. The same earth that Jesus visited the first time around to win for you and me the forgiveness of sins. That's what Jesus did. He took all of our cynicism, all of our lack of perspective, all of our self-centered thoughts, words, and actions, and he went to a cross. And on that cross, he paid with his own death to give you and me life. 
And then Jesus rose from the dead, as was described by the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 13. He rose from the death from death to guarantee that you and I will live forever with him in heaven. That same Jesus goes before the Father and speaks on your behalf and mine, as if to say to the Father, you can't punish them for their sins because I already paid the price. It's why Jesus asked the question that he did in our gospel lesson for today. What can be given in exchange for a soul? What if someone would gain the whole world and yet forfeit their own soul? Jesus gives us the proper perspective by reminding us that the here and now is nothing compared to the eternal that is waiting for us. That eternal life is unmatched by anything this world has to offer. And so living for the moment, that's not necessarily wrong to live our lives in this world. That's not what Paul's saying. But what he is encouraging us is to not lose sight, to not lose sight of something better that is yet to come. I must have been really living in the past this week or something because I thought about this guy. Uh, maybe you remember his name, Sully Sullenberger. Back in 2009, can you believe that it was almost 15 years ago in January of 2009? He took off as the pilot of a plane leaving from LaGuardia Airport to New York City and figured out within the first couple minutes of the flight that something terrible had happened. Apparently, geese had flown not into just one of the engines of the plane, but both. And the plane had lost power completely. He made a split-second decision and had basically about three minutes to turn the plane around and then angle it just right to land it in the Hudson River in New York City. Every single passenger, all 155 of them, were saved. Sully got a little embarrassed by all of the notoriety that he got for this, figured he was just doing his job. And I heard him say something along these lines once in an interview. He said this, For 40 years, thousands of passengers made it from point A to point B as I was flying the plane, and yet I'm going to be remembered for these three minutes. And I think his frustration a little bit was, what about all the other safe flights that I had accomplished? And I thought, He's kind of right, but not really, because that 40 years of flying that he had done prepared him for that day when he needed to act in a heroic manner. Every day that he flew and got people safely to their destination was formulating the ability to do what he did when it was necessary. Maybe we can feel that way too when we become weary in doing good. What difference is it really making? Have we really impacted the world? Has anything really changed when I tried to live for Jesus? But all of those little things, as Jesus said, what you do for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. All of those things matter in the long run. All of those things point us ahead to the eternal reward that God has waiting for us. That's why Paul could say this in verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. That's Paul's final encouragement to the Galatians. Remember what we have. We have salvation. We have an eternal life. We have forgiveness of sins. There's nothing else that we could possibly need. And since we have that, we can look how we can say thank you to our Savior 
by serving him and serving others. Look for opportunities to do good, Paul says. Open your eyes and look around at where it is that God could have you serve today or tomorrow or the next day. Paul qualifies who it is that we're supposed to serve in such a way when he uses the word all. Let us do good to all people. Everyone can be a recipient of the kindness that God wants us to show in response to his love for us. But he does quantify it even further, doesn't he? Especially those who belong to the family of believers. Think of the blessing that you and I are to each other. The blessing that God allows us to be as we, Paul said this in earlier in chapter 6, carry each other's burdens. As we look for ways to help each other on the road from this life to an eternity with him in heaven, we share a perspective, don't we? We, we know where we're going. We know what Jesus has won for us. We can't wait for that day that we're home forever in heaven. That shared goal gives us the opportunity to, to work together, to look out for each other, to serve each other in the same love that Jesus served us first. I won't give you an assignment this week, but I'll just ask you to think about this question for the week ahead. Who has God put in your life this next week, days ahead, that you can lift up, that you can lend a hand to, that you can give a smile or a kind word to, someone that you can hold up for our Savior to see and, and bless? It's a great way to do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers, knowing that our future in heaven is secure. Some takeaways from our sermon today. Number one, by the power of the Spirit, we strive to live for more than just this life. The Apostle Paul said it this way in his second letter to the Corinthians, he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Number two, we believe that eternal life is our ultimate goal. To the Philippians, Paul wrote this, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait, await a Savior from there, our Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, number three, with an eternal perspective, we reflect on God's love for us as we serve others. It was Peter who said this, Each of you should use whatever gifts God has given you to use to serve others. Faithfully administering God's grace. That's our opportunity as we wait for our eternal life to come, service to our Lord and to each other. One last thing about perspective today. Maybe you've seen this picture before. As you look at the ink blots, supposedly you're supposed to focus on the four dots right in the center of the picture. And if you focus on those dots, I'm not sure if the distance is good enough in here, but if you focus on those dots long enough and then sort of let your eyes kind of just sort of lose focus and then focus again, what's supposed to happen is you're supposed to see who is actually in the picture. Can you see Jesus? Eyes, hair, nose. See, that's perspective, right? That's what God wants, us to focus on Jesus, to focus on everything that we have through him, the forgiveness of our sins, the life eternal that is ours, and then use the love that he's shown us to serve others. Don't lose that perspective. Don't lose heart. Know what's waiting, the harvest that is yours forever in heaven, and know that your Savior is waiting for you there. Amen.
The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.